Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization including one generation away. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. What is truth? Asked Johnny Cash in his 1970 hit song. It was a protest song in country style that is as poignant today as it was 50 years ago. And we may well be asking that same question when dealing with political issues we see all around us. Lies, spin, deceit, and narrative are the order of the day, and it seems that we, the mere public, are not to be trusted with actual reality, but rather to be dismissed and derided from the high offices of state. But we're not powerless against it. Welcome back to Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio American Network. I'm your host, Mark Angelides. On today's show, we're going to examine Biden's self-created energy crisis, the rise of social justice over real justice, and how the fourth estate appears to be ready to go down with the presidential ship. I'd like to say a special hello and thank you to our listeners out on KGNC of Amarillo, Texas on 97.5 FM and 710 AM. Great to have you here. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American constitution. Let's get started. 11 months in the Oval Office and Joe Biden is underwater in the polls. According to the Real Clear Politics average, Biden was getting plus 20 points favorability in most polls throughout April and May. But now, bar one or two exceptions, his approval is in negative territory and sometimes deep in. Keep in mind, this all happened while the fourth estate was still heralding the commander in chief as the greatest thing to hit politics in many, many a year. So we should be asking ourselves one question. What happens when the media bails out on the Biden presidency? Well, to help us figure that out and figure out what the fallout looks like, and even if it will ever happen, we're joined by author and podcaster, Mr. Jeff Charles. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me with you. I guess the most pertinent question is whether or not the fourth estate will continue to be supportive of the Biden presidency for his entire term, or is there a point or an issue that will make them turn against him? There is no issue that would cause the um, activist media to turn against President Biden. There might be some that come up where, where they might give him a spanking or a slap on the wrist. Like we saw that with Afghanistan. They actually did their jobs for once. But I mean, the situation in Afghanistan is still going on and they're not really reporting on it any, anymore. So, yeah, there might be places here and there where they'll criticize him just to give that veneer of objectivity. But in general, I mean, they are his ministry of pro propaganda, so they're never going to turn against him. They, they have the same agenda. Okay, now you, you've often written on the pages of LibertyNation.com that the, the trust in the legacy media, it's, it's a swiftly disappearing commodity, uh, along with every other commodity in the United States at the moment. Now, you and I, we work in the media and we, we try to provide 
uh, analysis as best as we can, always fearful that one wrong move will crush our credibility. Now, why don't the denizens of the, uh, as you term, the activist media have the same fear? Uh, because they're true believers, Mark. I mean, they they have gone from being actual journalist out, journalistic outlets into outright activism. So if they get something wrong, they're, if they do correct it, they're going to correct it in a way that people don't really see, and they're they're not really they don't really see that they're going to suffer from it. Even though their ratings are in the tank, they don't seem to realize that what they're doing is pushing people away. But I think what they're trying to do is influence, still influence as many as they can, because even though trust in the media has is at an all time low, it does not still mean that they don't have a very high level of influence. Of influence. So right now, they really have they don't really have much of a reason to try to be more honest about the reporting. Now let's look at some of those ratings for a second. Now, let's call them alternative outlets. For example, Joe Rogan, uh, Stephen Crowder, and these guys, they have fairly low-budget productions. It's essentially themselves with a, a little team uh, making stories about the news. Now, they're wiping the floor with pretty much all of the major networks in terms of uh, both audience engagement and viewing figures. Now, do you think the, uh, the outrageousness of the legacy media where they're, as you point out, being more activists, willing to, to take the activist position on every story, is that more of a, a visceral response to their dwindling popularity? Because obviously many uh, of the younger audience now, they identify as activists. Is it perhaps that they're trying to reach out to this audience by being as much of an activist as they think their audience is, even though their audiences are, are usually, for example, CNN audiences is quite uh, is more of the older generation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it seems like they might be trying to appeal to a younger audience because you're right. I mean, with Fox News and CNN and in a lot in MSNBC, most of their viewers who are watching cable news are in their 60s. Um, so it could be that they're trying to reach a younger demographic, which prefers social media and blogs and other forms of of, of news consumption. But I think the issue here is the, the reason that they're pushing people away isn't just isn't so much because they're activists, but it's because they lie about it. They're not honest about it. Like you mentioned, Stephen Crowder, Joe Rogan, and a lot of the other podcasters and, and YouTubers out there, they are honest about where they come from politically. They're not trying to tell you that they're objective. If you ask Joe Rogan how he feels on a certain political issue, He'll tell you what he thinks because he's not setting himself up as an objective journalist. So when you listen to Joe Rogan or Ben Shapiro, Stephen Crowder, you know what you're going to get. That doesn't mean they get everything right. It doesn't even mean that you're going to agree with everything that they say, but you know that you're getting an honest opinion. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Jeff. Now, I suppose the, the real test of the media will come in 2022 congressional elections, which are fast approaching and campaigns of, uh, they're, they're pretty much underway as we speak. Now, Will they go all in on the Democrats? Now, for me, it, it seems quite a tough sell. Some of these pundits have suggested that uh, in recent, recent past, very recent past, that equal weight needn't be given to opposing views because some views aren't, just aren't worthy of uh, getting the, the, the equal weight. Now, how do they reconcile that with the Democratic Party being so split? You have uh, one end of the party, which is, extreme socialism, essentially. Uh, and the other end, which I think a lot of people in America would describe as uh, more centrist conservatism. Um, I'm looking at Joe Manchin here. 
So how do the media manage this disparate circus of ideas and ideologies? Um, well, he, here's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's going to depend on the news outlet, right? I mean, there are some news outlets that are pretty far to the left, like MSNBC. They're more likely to hype up the more far left socialist wing of the party. Then you have others that are still decidedly left, but maybe not quite AOC left, right? So it's, it's just going to depend. Overall, they are going to be supporting the Democrats, even though, I mean, based on a lot of the op-eds I've been reading, I, they know that the Democrats are in trouble. So I expect them to go full Pravda on this whole, on this thing, especially starting next year during the midterms, because they, they don't want the Democrats to lose the House, and they know that there's a very good chance of that happening. Same thing with the Senate. So I think it's just going to really depend on, on how far left the, uh, they're, they're willing to go. So tell me, Jeff, the future of the media in the United States, not just for 2022, but beyond, where is it heading? And what are the significant signposts along the way? Yeah, um, as you know, the, the, the internet becomes more of a place for people to get news, it, we're going to see more siloing. We were already kind of siloed in how we view our media, but not as siloed as we're going to be. I mean, we, we have outlets like LibertyNation.com. And I think there will be more of these. And I believe that there will be more of these on the left, too. You're going to see a lot more left-wing podcasts. It seems like everybody has a podcast nowadays, right? So, I mean, yeah, so it's a good it's good in that we can subvert the influence of the activist media. But it, I'm also concerned that if people get close, get, go more and more into their echo chambers, there could be an issue. Jeff Charles, thank you very much. Here's to breaking out of the echo chambers. Yes, thank you for having me. You're listening to Liberty Nation Radio. Later in the show, we're asking, what is justice and can it really be delivered? But right after this short break, we're back with Andrew Moran to examine the self-created energy crisis of President Joe Biden. freedom and your liberty liberty nation with mark angelides if you buy gas for your car heat your home or even run a business that requires electricity this joe biden energy crisis is going to impact you but is it merely a confluence of random factors that led to this environment of high prices and scarcity or was it a series of seemingly paradoxical blunders that inevitably and inexorably dragged us towards this point well, to help us fathom the stupefying depths of decision-making process, we're joined by economist and author, Mr. Andrew Moran. Thanks for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, I, I think what amazes people the most is the contradictions and paradoxes involved in the Biden energy policy. So supplies are low at some gas stations, uh, and when you can get it, the price is, is skyrocketing. And yet the administration has started looking into shutting down yet another pipeline Apparently, there are plans in place that there's plans being looked at, which, as we all know, is uh, government speak for it's going to happen. We just don't want to tell you about it. How does this make sense? It doesn't make any sense. I think you can just end this interview right there because that's that's the answer. It doesn't Thanks make for being sense. here, Andrew Moran. It makes no sense. Goodbye. <laughs> no, please carry on. But, you know, you can't really be surprised from this administration. This is an administration that thinks if you don't count things causing inflation, you won't get inflation. This is an administration that insisted uh, there was no inflation happening, uh, but then now it's skyrocketing. This is an administration that said trillions of dollars in new spending will be zero cost to taxpayers. 
turns out it's going to cost trillions of dollars to taxpayers. So everything the White House is saying and doing doesn't make any sense in the slightest. So I'm not surprised at all that they want to dismantle a portion of another pipeline, the second one in, uh, in nine months, in the, in the midst of it, a global energy crisis. What the heck's going on in the Oval Office? <laughs> well, you know, speaking of oil, I want to ask about Biden and OPEC, the oil producing countries. Now, on the one hand, you have on the on the domestic front this shutting down of pipelines, this vehement anger against anyone who wants to use fossil fuels. Uh, and on the other, you have Joe Biden practically begging OPEC to ramp up oil production output. This, again, makes no sense to me. Andrew. I don't know what to say. Uh, you know, it's comical and frustrating at the same time. Uh, in a recent article of mine, I, I call it that he wants to make OPEC great again. So I think you, you would call it MOGA, I believe. Call. But, you know, if he, wants, if he wants more crew to produce, why not just encourage domestic producers? All I hear from the administration, including recently uh, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, they're just demanding OPEC to ramp up production. When OPEC made that announcement uh, recently, uh, she was saying, oh, how dare they? They don't want to play ball. They don't want to help us in the middle of a crisis why can't they just say okay america's oil and gas sector we need you produce more turn on the taps do whatever do whatever it is so they don't know what they're doing again i mean are they looking at any of the data can they just put aside their their you know trying to appease the the green zealots in in the in the in the u.s government and, and the, the electoral base um you know i th i find it interesting also is that um last year you uh, you had a you had a, a situation whereby the cushing oklahoma storage facility it was it was running nearly full. They had to use ships to transfer oil uh, across the globe. Today, it's the complete opposite. You have Cushing running on empty because every bit of oil is being consumed right now. Isn't the administration looking at the, at these numbers? I know the market is. I know I am a lowly little writer writing about economics. I look at this mark. I look at this data all the time, and I'm thinking, doesn't the White House know what they're doing? Don't they see what we're seeing? What's happening? Yeah, I think a lot of it is to do with ideology. You, you say that. You know, uh, they could ask domestic producers to ramp up production, but they'd rather have it happen overseas just so they can stick to their climate change promises that they made at COP26, for example. Now, yes. speaking of COP26, when half the big names of the Democratic Party went to Glasgow to, to lord themselves and their green credentials, uh, on private jets, I might add, um, they pledged to go green, cut carbon emissions. Now, I came across an article from the, the very left-leaning Guardian of all places in, from 2011, quoting studies that said natural gas could cut emissions by 50% within two years. But the problem was, as pointed out by the Guardian, is that any money that was invested in uh, extrapolating, exploiting natural gases would be taking money from renewable research. And so therefore it was doomed not to happen. So it seems to me that all of these promises being made, that 50% reduction in, in emissions could have been completed a decade ago if it weren't for the politics of renewables. Now, what do you say about that from an economic standpoint? Well, I'd be sure to first point out that uh, you know the U.S. does consume a lot of natural gas, and you actually see in the numbers the emissions coming down. Trump, when he left the Paris Accord, the U.S. was was the only major advanced economy to see emission greenhouse gas emissions fall. Why? Because they produce and consume a lot of natural gas. Uh, but yeah, I've been writing about natural gas too uh, for for many years, and you know the problem is it's it's energy efficient. 
It's plentiful and it was cheap, but it's been demonized so much in recent years. You know, some jurisdictions are going as far as banning its use in commercial buildings like California, although, you know, it's tergiversated uh, in, uh, in recent months because they're running low on energy. But when it comes to economics points of view, this is where the green movement and the free enterprise system have coincided. On the one hand, you had an abundance of natural or you have an abundance of natural gas and it was cheap before its enormous gains. On the other, the emissions from the natural gas are much lower compared to something like coal and crude. So you see this basically on the on the two uh, data ver uh, data points that the market was already ditching in favor of natural gas because of how cheap and abundant it was. Plus, the U.S. has an immense amount of natural gas, meaning it doesn't have to rely on Russia and other for other other foreign uh, countries. But. The problem, the climate cultists and the radical left in Washington want it all. They want windmills and solar powers or sitting in the dark. There's no in-between for them. Now, you know, natural gas is always referred to as the so-called bridge fuel. It's called that because right now, if you want to get to the green economy, you have to slowly transition to something like natural gas because of how prevalent it is and adds lower emissions. But they don't want that. They want to go from the, the, the benefits of fossil fuel right to a windmill, which obviously we've seen this happening. It doesn't work. So, uh, you know, from the economics point of view, you, you, you go based on what the market is telling you. But the problem is that the government intervenes so much that it's really difficult to see how the, where the market would, would, would shift toward. Uh, let's talk about the, the cost of these green policies, Andrew. We hear a lot about how, for example, electric cars are the future. Um, folks buying gas cars, they're getting penalized through taxation all over the world. Now, setting aside for a moment that the production and, and disposing of these heavy batteries are an environmentalist nightmare uh, that seems to be ignored at, at, at all corners, can statists really control the economic levers to the extent of destroying the traditional car industry. Yeah, I, I alluded to somewhat of my previous answer, but this is a bit of a complicated issue. It's difficult to gouge, to gouge, excuse me, if the market is naturally shifting to electric vehicles or if the public is being nudged, which is a favorite tactic of many of the statists. Uh, the problem is that the government has all these incentives, all these tax credits, all these subsidies going to companies producing EVs and then the companies who buy those EVs. And that's essentially how Elon Musk got uh, rich, how he you know became... It's easy to be a successful enterprise when you have 50 billion in government subsidies behind you. Yeah, uh, uh, Milton Freeman, he said that the, the biggest enemy to the free enterprise system is free enterprise itself because they want the easiest way to get the cash, which is you know, it's understandable if, they, if it's there. But you know, whatever the case, you know, companies will go to where the money is. You, you have BMW, you have Ford, you have GM. All these automakers are transitioning to electric. It's just, that, it's just like the case with the natural gas. The market shifted to, to this bridge fuel because it was cheap. So if oil is too expensive, cost too much to fill up your to fill up a tank of gasoline and electric is cheaper consumers are obviously going to make that move it's just difficult to determine if the government inter, if the government's interventions are uh, are are bastardizing the where the market is, where the market is going toward so so i'm sure though however the market would eventually go to ev which is that the government once again just wringing its ugly head andrew moran thank you ever so much thank you for having me you're listening to Liberty Nation Radio, heard across the Radio America network from our flagship station in the nation's capital, WWRC in Washington, D.C. Remember, you can tune in for Liberty Nation from 2 to 3 p.m. Sunday on KBKW 103.5 FM and 1450 AM, the talk of Grace Harbor. Coming up soon on the show, we'll be talking liberty and figuring out why social justice is no justice at all. But next up, we have longtime host of Liberty Nation Radio, Tim Donner, for a special Say What segment. Don't touch that dial. Yeah, I thought it was free. 
freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. And we're back and here to unveil some of the most wacky, astonishing, and damnable things up by politicians and the chattering class on our signature Say What segment with longtime host of Liberty Nation Radio, Mr. Tim Donner. Okay, thanks, Mark. And away we go with the latest thrill-packed edition of Say What. And of course, at the top of the heap in our nation's capital, things are not going well for the dream team of Biden and Harris. The Joe and Kamala show has been met with almost universal thumbs-down reviews. With Biden's approval dropping into the 30s in three separate credible polls. But incredibly, the vice president, the first woman and first woman of color ever to hold that high position, is approved of by even less Americans than the increasingly unpopular Joe Biden. In fact, 10 percent less with a shocking 28 percent approval attached to her increasingly tarnished name. Some of the VP's widespread lack of appeal is her inability to connect with people on a personal level. Some is for her seeming ineffectiveness at the job, but some is for her embarrassing statements, the latest of which had her trying to sound like Pepe Le Pew on a state visit to France. With us in government, we campaign with the plan. Uppercase T, uppercase P, the plan. And then the environment is such that we're expected to defend the plan. Remember that little guy on Fantasy Island who used to shout, the plane, the plane. Maybe in retrospect, that's who Kamala was trying to imitate. But no matter how you cut it, the outlook is bleak for this administration. How bad is it? Well, Senator Ted Cruz made a comparison that any Democratic president should avoid at all costs. It feels like Joe Biden is Jimmy Carter all over again. And and we're seeing skyrocketing inflation. We've seen gas lines. We've seen a Middle East crisis. We've seen hostages. We've seen surrender, in this case, in Afghanistan. All of these problems are replicating. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the rest of the administration, they don't care. Look, they they want you not to be able to fill up gas in your car. They want your electricity bill to be higher. They want your heating bill to be higher. And and, and the cruelty, of course, it doesn't impact them. The the, the Democratic elites will still fly on their private planes everywhere they go. And, And the working people, they just say, let them eat cake. Indeed, they carry on with their green energy plan, even as the unwashed masses pay 60 percent more at the pump than when Joe Biden took office. And heating bills are set to skyrocket over the winter. Marie Antoinette, indeed, let them eat kale, I guess. But this administration has a big time perception problem when they call inflation a high class problem. And then there are apologists on MSNBC like Stephanie Rule talks down to the masses, reiterating that inflation is no big deal. And the dirty little secret here, Willie, while nobody likes to pay more, 
On average, we have the money to do so. Household savings hit a record high over the pandemic. We didn't really have anywhere to go out and spend. And as we said a moment ago, we're expecting retail sales this holiday season to break records. For those who own their homes, the value of our homes are up. And while the stock market isn't the economy, you got over half of American households with some investment in the markets, and the markets have hit record highs. So we need to put all of this in perspective. Right. So don't worry if, like so many others, you're living paycheck to paycheck, that gas is up 60%, home heating up, what, 40%, food prices soaring. Don't you understand? Your betters have deemed it no big deal. It's just transitory, they tell us. Soon to pass, merely a blip on the radar screen. Well, they better hope that's true, because if it's not, the Democrats will be severely punished by the voters in 2022. And speaking of being punished, the people of Texas probably aren't sure whether to laugh or cry with the latest announcement from Beto O'Rourke, manchild. After embarrassing himself and failing miserably in his run for president and losing for the Senate, there's only one more place to go. I'm running for governor, and I want to tell you why. They're focusing on the kind of extremist policies uh, around abortion or permitless carry or even in our schools that really only divide us and keep us apart and stop us from working together on the truly big things that we want to achieve for one another. It's a really small vision for such a big state. If man-child Beto, who despite his concocted name, is white as white can possibly be, Robert Francis O'Rourke, if he gets the nomination for governor, the race between him and the wildly popular incumbent Greg Abbott promises to be must-see TV. Beto is among those guilt-ridden Caucasians who grovel at the feet of race hustlers peddling the notion of America as a systemically racist nation. But the elections this month confirmed that Americans have had more than enough of being made to feel either like oppressors or victims. Nevertheless, we got another sequel to the Poison of 1619 project this week, and the author and founder of the project centered around critical race theory, Nicole Hannah-Jones, says the gross historical inaccuracies in it have nothing to do with the attacks on the malignant premise of the project that America was founded for the purpose of furthering slavery. No, it's all because of, well, you know. What I learned is, one, that you can do all of the things that we are told we are to do to be successful. And in the end, um, as a black woman, you can still be denied. Right. Attacks on the 1619 Project have only to do with the author's race and nothing to do with her helping to incite a race war in this country. Switching gears, it was perhaps entirely unsurprising that the Kyle Rittenhouse trial became a proxy battle for left versus right. Conservatives thinking, at least privately, that the guy's a brave patriot. Leftists thinking him a white supremacist vigilante murderer. The trial and battle was played out in the media as much as in the courtroom. And no-nonsense Judge Bruce Schroeder, who might be the bookend to arguably the worst high-profile judge of all time, the infamous Judge Lance Ito of OJ trial fame, upbraided the media to the point of second-guessing himself on televising the trial. When I talked about um, 
problems with the media when this trial started. That's, we're there in part, not, not fully, but in part, because of grossly irresponsible handling of what comes out of this trial. I will tell you this, uh, I'm going to think long and hard about uh, live television, the trial, again, next time. I don't know. I, I, I've always been a firm believer in it because I think the people should be able to see what's going on. But when I see what's being done, it's really quite frightening. So given how getting out of bed is a political event these days, the real long-term legacy of this Rittenhouse trial may well be a trend away from televising these high profile events, which becomes a worthy subject for debate at another time. So climate change extremists and some responsible environmentalists, we would suppose or hope, all flew into Scotland for the recent much ballyhooed COP26 summit in their elite private transportation, leaving a massive carbon footprint as they demand an end to the very fossil fuels that drive their entire lifestyles. The true climate radicals said even the extreme measures these people propose to save the planet, all but shutting down industry, are not enough. Net zero is not nearly enough, says the leader of the socialist band AOC. When we see this thing of net zero by 2050, they're like, yeah, like this is great. This is a huge transition, like all of those things. And that might be relative to the status quo now, but for us, that's really not good enough. So let's talk about why net zero by 2050 is not really acceptable for young people. And this was really one of the central calls from the streets and protesters outside of COP this year. It was net zero by 2050 is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it is ridiculous, but for the opposite reason she stated. It's ridiculous because, quite simply, let's bring it down to a level that even the left can understand. The world we know, everything we do, our entire lifestyle, driven by fossil fuels, would cease to exist, likely in a world of net zero emissions. And with 100% certainty in a world with zero carbon emissions. Back to Mark. For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. This year has seen some notable trials. Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd being one of the most prominent, and of course the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Now we regular folk, we watch the media portrayal of events and wonder not if people are getting a fair shot, but whether courts will find someone guilty or innocent based upon how the result will look to the public. Can we really even have justice anymore? Well, to help us tackle that conundrum is host of the excellent Uprising podcast and Liberty Nation's legal affairs editor, Mr. Scott D. Cosenza. Thanks for being here, Scott. Thank you, Mark. Now tell me, if justice is blind and impartial, why do we have such differing opinions from different courts? Uh, not just on the, the trial for criminal prosecutions, but for legal decisions made about politics. Um, doesn't this signify that something's amiss in the United States? I think it's something amiss in the human condition, more likely. We are all sinners. We all, we all have to, I think, always guard against the notion that the other person is doing what they're doing out of a malevolence or willingness to 
to kind of play dirty rather than their own delusion that their desires are manifest in the original, uh, you know, writing. So if it, in, in the instance, you know, I spend a lot of my time dealing, studying the Supreme Court and looking at their rulings and, and arguments before them. And it would be easy to say for the Supreme Court justices that write diametrically opposed opinions to the ones that I would favor, well, they're doing it because they just want that outcome for the law. But it's probably a better reason to think that they, they see that answer in the law, I think. Certainly some are malignant, but uh, I think it's more just a question of people see what they want to and have a massive and unlimited capacity for uh, self-delusion. Not that I'm calling any of the justices delusional. Well, to, to carry on from that point, a lot of judges and justices, of course, are politically appointed so surely their, let's call it their reading of a certain law or their interpretation <clears throat> of a law, that's what prompts them to be elected. So let's just say, for example, if, uh, oh, sorry, to be nominated. So let's just say, for example, one person consistently rules on an ideological principle that is favorable to the government at the time. They're going to get the position over somebody who consistently rules against that. So what their motivations are it sort of becomes irrelevant because the, the end result is that you're going to get this result nine times out of 10. Chief Justice John Roberts, Mark, famously said that there are no Republican uh, justices and Democrat justices. And I forget who, uh, but one of these people who makes it their business to make sure that there are uh, Republican justices, for instance, said something. I forget how many millions of dollars they spent, you know, uh, to try to get Donald Trump into elected office so that he would appoint certain justices. So the notion, you know, it's sort of a pleasant fiction for for those justices to not you know, realize that they are, in fact, uh, they're on team this or team that. Uh, oftentimes, that's how they're perceived by the people who put them in that position. Um, I think it's just, uh, you know, you have people that have different ideological uh, kind of makeup uh, and, and filters for how they see the law and society. And, you know, picking those people becomes very important to those of us who have a particular vision for that. Uh, I can tell you that, you know, I've worked hard uh, to see that people who are uh, appointed to the court, I mean, through various political processes is what I mean by that, um, that they favor limited government and not expansive government. And um, there are, I think, readings of the Constitution that can include uh, some expansive government uh, that doesn't make those readers delusional. Oh, yeah. There's also this issue of social justice which really shouldn't be anything to do with the legal world, but it's certainly becoming so on a more day-to-day -day basis. Now, that started as a term supposedly linked to fairness, but it seems that in reality, it means that for practical intents and purposes, it means that the hard left are going to riot if the courts don't deliver the verdict that the hard left wants. I mean, maybe that's a little of a jaded opinion, but it's certainly backed up by evidence. So how can a, a jury, for example, a jury of peers, fairly bring in a verdict if they think that their city is going to burn if they cast the wrong vote or even worse that they could be targeted personally by folks who are taking their pictures surreptitiously in court and getting ready to dox them how can they cast their verdict without fear of retribution mark i'll take your second question first which is that it is the job of the judge the court we say the court and the uh attorneys to make sure through advocacy and implementation of sound policies that those jurors, to the extent possible, have those concerns minimized. And also 
during the voir dire process that only jurors with a robust sense of civic duty uh, and understanding of, of, of their own duty in the law in the face of uncomfortableness uh, and threats to, to do justice uh, are impaneled in, in the jury. Now, those are perhaps just lofty talking points, but when the rubber meets the road, that's, that's what needs to happen. Uh, you can't completely remove this idea of social pressure and um, uh, worse, I think. Um, but that's what the law demands. And that's what jurors and courts, you know, try to suss out and get through. I would say to the second part about social justice, it is without question, the unmitigated enemy of individual justice, which is what the entirety of our justice system uh, relies and depends on. I am not to be judged because I am a white man in any proceeding uh, before courts in the United States. I'm to be judged based on behavior that I may have engaged in. And, and characteristics that involve social justice are absolutely not appropriate uh, for, uh, for anything like that uh, in the courtroom. It's, uh, it's an abomination. And, and I think it's a jo the job of media and legal figures to, to say that early and often. You know, this is a construct for, I don't know, university funding, maybe, but definitely not for uh, for courtrooms in the United States. Well, to continue with the unraveling bow, let's talk about President Biden weighing in on these trials as well. Now, I would uh, as as a non-legal mind, I would say that there's there's something about the appeal to authority where the, if the president of the United States is saying this person is, for example, guilty of murder, this person is a white supremacist, that there's going to be some mental impact on the jurors. So is the president right to, and, and other politicians, of course, not just singling out Joe Biden, this happens uh, across the board, across the political sure, I spectrum. understand. Well, one of the things you could ask the jurors, did they see that disgusting tweet made by uh, Joe Biden, for instance, in the Rittenhouse matter? Um, and or do they even have Twitter, you know, have a Twitter account? I mean, there are, you know, you and I live in the world where it's obvious that, you know, something that's widely seen on Twitter would be widely seen. But there are plenty of Americans who have never even been on Twitter. Um, so those are the things that are appropriate to get into with an individual examination uh, of potential jurors and suss out uh, perhaps any bias. Now, for the second part of it is, um, the kind of court of public opinion, if you will. And that's why presidents um, should shut their mouths. Well, there's a, there's an interesting phrase we have in, in the UK. It's uh, called innocent until proven guilty. And it's, it's I'm sure, something that the, uh, the American <clears throat> political class of all stripes could do well to adopt in their posturing. Well, that's and... appropriate for the legal world, but not Twitter world, Mark. It's of course, sentence naturally. first, then the verdict. It seems to me that we're on a dangerous path here, Scott. Justice by the mob, aided by the media and supported by the political class. Now, perhaps I'm being a little hyperbolic here, but it, it all seems designed to scare folks into not exercising the rights granted to them by the nation's founding documents. Yes, Am I that's exactly track? right. That's exactly what those things are being offered for. They're being offered to scare people into... Uh, doing the will of the speaker, which is to convict or not convict, as the case may be. Um, and it's not acceptable. And prosecutors should. Uh, this is a political position, the prosecutor's office, generally speaking. But I would suggest that prosecutors should be targeting those folks for prosecution if their conduct rises to the level of 
an attempt to inappropriately and illegally influence a juror, a jury. And some of it seems to be on the plain face of it and others just seems to be spouting off. So there are, you know, gradations there. Scott D. Casenza, thank you ever so much for being here. Thanks, Mark. And that's it for this week on Liberty Nation Radio. I want to thank our guests, Jeff Charles, Andrew Moran, and our Say What superstar, Mr. Tim Donner. And of course, Talking Liberty's Scott Casenza. And most of all, my heartfelt thanks to you, the listener, for being here. Parting shot before we finish. Noted economist and author Thomas Sowell wrote, quote, In politics, the great non-sequitur of our time is that one, things are not right, and two, that government should make them right. Where right all too often means cosmic justice, trying to set things right means writing a blank check of a never-ending expansion of government power, end quote. Perhaps it's time for a return to justice where the individual and individual rights are the watchwords. For without rugged individualism, there would be no America. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks for listening. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.